James Bible to be the Word of God. And um, I believe that we have an inspired Bible. I believe that we have a preserved Bible. Um, I believe that we have a Bible that is correct and has no errors in it. All right, but I, I have to know why I believe that. And, um, and that's why we spent time looking at that subject. Tonight I want to look at a different subject. I don't think I, I'm only probably going to preach maybe two messages on it. But if I could maybe title these maybe foundation messages. How many of you think we ought to know why we believe what we believe? It's one thing to, to know what you believe. But why do you believe that? What is the reason that you say that that is a fundamental part of, of your core values? What, what is the reason for that? And I think we can look in the Bible and find those answers. And so tonight, Matthew 16, I'm going to begin again tonight with the church. If you look what the Bible says, Matthew 16, um, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. Verse 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, in looking at the church, why is the church important? And what do we believe about the church? You know, this is the first occurrence that you find in the New Testament of the word church. First time it shows up, very important principle in the Bible. It occurs over 107, almost 117 times, and, and the majority of those times, almost 100 always refers to a local assembly. But I want you to note here that there's a couple of things that we need to see clearly here first. Number one, the Bible says upon this rock, well, I will build my church. I'd say tonight, Jesus is in the business of building the church. And if he's in that business, then we probably ought to be in that same business as well. It doesn't matter what your profession is, what your vocation is what your job is. I think we are privileged to be co-laborers with Christ to be able to build something that is far greater than ourselves. And the Bible says, upon this rock will I build. Then note my church. The church doesn't belong to you and the church doesn't belong to me. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. It belongs to him. It's his church. It's not a man's church. It's not something man-made. It's something made by God. Amen. Upon this rock will I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church will not be overcome even by hell. Hell is full of wickedness. The Bible says hell enlargeth itself. And all I'm telling you tonight is it doesn't matter how many votes they take inside the Supreme Court halls in this country. It doesn't matter what other men may say about the church and how they want to get rid of the church. I'm telling you tonight, the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against something Jesus said, I'm in the business of building. It's kind of like people thinking that they can destroy the planet. I mean, you'd have to be really big to destroy this planet. You'd have to have a whole lot of power. I, I, I don't doubt that. There are weapons of mass destruction that we have, but I'm telling you right now, God's the one that made the world, and God will be the one that takes and burns it up in the end of time. And all I'm saying is that, that God is not going to allow the church 
to be overcome. So what is the church? Well, it's an assembly of believers with a purpose to serve God. That's what a church is, an assembly of believers with a purpose to serve God. Now, I, I want you to understand that that doesn't mean that individuals aren't important, but the church does not exist to serve individuals. We care for one another, and every individual is important. The church exists to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. The church also does not exist to serve our community. And there are a lot of churches that have made that bend now in their purpose. They're here to exist for the community. I believe we ought to reach out in the community, but our purpose is not to serve the community. Our purpose is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I say that the purpose of the church is to serve God, that's important. That's important. Now, you're in Matthew 16, and if you'd go to Hebrews chapter 10, I've got a handful of scriptures I want to look at tonight. Hebrews chapter 10, and an important passage of scripture in the Bible regarding the church. If you were to look in your Bible from the book of Acts all the way to the book of Revelation, there's only one thing that God tells you that you're not to forsake, and that is the assembling together of the church. The Bible says there in Hebrews chapter 10, I know you know the verse, we'll read it anyway, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, you and I, we are not to be given to turning away from assembling together. I, I, I really believe that we have been blessed to have live stream and to be able to have a radio station that puts a broadcast of our church services. But live stream and radio should never be a replacement from coming to the assembly. There should never be a choice, well, I just, I can stay at home. I don't have to put on anything to go and I can, I'm already comfortable. I'm telling you, there is no substitute for being in God's house with God's people. And this is what he says, don't forsake that assembly. Forsaking not the assembling, not the assembly. Look at your word again. Forsaking, not forsaking the assembling, not the assembly. I had a man tell me years ago, I asked him where his son was on a Wednesday night. He was my song leader. And he said, well, he's at, uh, he's at Little League practice on the all-star team. And I said, you mean you let him go to all-star practice instead of having him here tonight at church? And he said, well, preacher, it's not like we've turned our back on the church. We've not forsaken the assembly. I said, it doesn't say not to forsake the assembly. It says not to forsake the assembling. You're going to teach that young son of yours that going to all-star practice is more important than being at church. And I think this is exactly where you ought to be on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Amen. Don't forsake the assembly. That's the thing that God told you not to turn your back on. Now, if you want, this is a little flyleaf material right here. If you want to pick and put this on the inside of your Bible, if you want to jot it down, let me just say a couple of things then about becoming a member of the church. Again, almost every reference in the New Testament is always to a local assembly. So I believe you ought to be a member of a local church. I believe that you ought to be a part of a local church. Now, you become part of the church, no doubt, by salvation. 1 Corinthians 12 is very clear about that. The Bible says, for by one spirit, are we all baptized into one body? I've been put into the body of Christ, which is the church, when I got born again. But I should take and commit myself 
to a local assembly. Now, some people get afraid of that and they say, well, do you believe in the universal church? I believe the church is more than a local assembly, but I certainly don't believe that the, the Catholic church is, the, is, is what we're trying to promote there. I, I believe that there is something larger than the local assembly, but God puts the emphasis on the local assembly. And that's why we're here tonight because we believe in the local church. Amen. You do believe in that, don't you? Amen. We believe in that. So when you become a member of a local church, somebody asks, well, how, how do you become a member here? Well, you become a member here by uh, baptism after you've been saved, or you can become a member by statement of, of faith and stating that you've been born again and scripturally baptized, or you can join by letter, a letter from another church of like faith. And somebody says, well, why do you have to join the church? Is that important? Well, I think there's some practical things. How many of you think it would just be practical for the leadership to be a member of that local church, don't you think? I, I don't think that we ought to have somebody running the United States that's not a member of the United States. Right? Doesn't make sense, does it? So when it comes to the local church, then you want to be part of that leadership. I think the same thing's true decisions. I think that when we have a vote here at the church, and we do vote on things from time to time, and, and when we do that, if you're a member of the church, you get to vote. I, I'll say it again. If you're not a member of the United States, if you're not a citizen, I don't think you ought to vote. It doesn't make sense. That should be reserved to people that are part of that organization. Another thing that you can do is minister. Now, I think you don't have to be a member of a local church to minister, but if you want to minister within the organization, then you ought to be a part of that. How many of you think it's a blessing that we have Brother Holbert Stevens back with us again tonight? How many of you think it would be strange if I just brought people in off the street and said, you lead the singing tonight? They don't know our people. They might even know our songs, and yet... If you want to minister, then another thing is you, you support and you commit to yourselves to people in this church. Uh, listen, I believe when you join Tabernacle Baptist Church that you're committed to be part of the whole local church. I don't think you commit to the Easley Bridge Roadside. I don't think you commit to the Whitehorse Roadside or you commit to that center section that's right, right down the line. I, I think what you do is you commit to everyone. All right. And when you say, well, I want to be part of this church, you're saying, I'm committed to supporting you, to caring for you. And then when I come to a place that I need your help, then I expect you to be there as well. We love to quote the verse that Jesus Christ is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. That Jesus Christ has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That he's a very present help in trouble. I think the same thing's true of a local church. I think we ought to be there for one another. Amen. It's just practical. And then on the legal side of that, you know, we have, we have insurances and you say, well, I don't believe in insurance. Well, you may not believe in it, but the state requires you to have it if you drive a vehicle. You say, well, I, I may not believe in taxes. Well, you got to pay your taxes. That's part of being a citizen. Some of y'all started frowning at me now. There are, there are aspects about an organization this large with a radio station and a Christian school and a college and a, and a children's home and all the other ministries that legally that gives you an opportunity to be covered by insurances. And again, that's just practical. Those are all practical things. There are many good practical reasons to be part of the local church. But then I think there's some scriptural reasons. And one of them was tonight, I think you ought to be part of a local church because the local church has been given the ordinances that God wants to be observed. He gave the ordinance of baptism, which we have had several ba baptisms here recently. Hadn't that been a blessing? But then also tonight, then we observe communion. That is something given to the local church. That's not given to a house church. Right. 
That, that, that's not given to the university. God didn't say, all right, the Christian university is going to provide the ordinances since they have the most educated people. That's not what God said. God gave that ordinance to the church. And then also he gave elders to the church, Ephesians chapter 4. You ought, you ought to want to be part of the church because God gave elders to the church. Amen. An elder could be a deacon. He could be a pastor, someone that has been proven by the church. God gave elders to the church. That's one reason, again, when people say, well, I'll just, I'll just stay home. I don't, need the, I don't need the local church. Well, then I guess that makes you pastor that church then. Somebody's got a pastor. And it would make sense that that would just be the husband or the wife if she's the one that's running the, the home. And we don't believe in that either, do we? So God said, I gave you elders. And then not only that, he gave the cause of missions to the church. Acts chapter 13, they were sent out of the church. I am so, we are, we are blessed to have wonderful missionaries at Tabernacle Baptist Church. The heritage that we have of people going out of this place into the world and carrying the gospel of Christ is rich and it continues to this day. It continues to be something fruitful. This morning, Brother David Edens was sitting right over here to my right. And, and as I looked down, he was smiling while I was preaching. And, and I, I'm telling you, that, that dear brother has put a Bible out in the Tajik language and folks are still getting saved through that thing right now, right now. The church was given the cause of missions. The church was also given discipline. Church discipline is something that God said, this is what I want you to practice, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The Bible says if a man's a fornicator, that means he has relations outside of marriage. You're to judge that man. The Bible says if a man is covetous, in other words, he wants the possession of somebody else. How many of you think you probably need to keep a man out of the church that wants somebody else's wife? How about a woman that wants somebody else's husband? Well, the same thing would grow true for your car or anything else. The Bible says that man is earnestly seeking somebody else's possessions. You need to deal with that. The Bible goes on to say that if a man's an idolater, I'm telling you right now, we believe in the one God, one living God, and we don't want to exalt anything above God. The Bible says you, you take and you administer discipline. The Bible also says about a railer. I remember when I first started studying about church discipline, what is a railer? And, you know, a railer, you put rails in the ground. And I, I believe a railer is somebody that's always trying to drive stakes in the ground to slander somebody else. The Bible says if you're a gossip and you're trying to destroy other people that you ought to be dealt with by the local church. Amen. Then it goes on to say if you're a drunkard. I can hear somebody say, well, I'm not a drunkard. I only drink a glass of wine in the evening. Well, how many glasses does it take you to get drunk? Five. Well, then you're one-fifth of the way there. Isn't that right? You know, the best way to do that is just leave it alone. And I know not everybody appreciates that. But I'm telling you, the, the, the roads of America are lined with little crosses and all kinds of little things recognizing where somebody died oftentimes as a result of being impaired by alcohol or somebody else being impaired and taking their life. There is a study. I, I remember years ago somebody said, well, you know, there is, there, there's benefits of drinking wine. If you drink a glass of wine a day, it helps your heart. They've proven that. You know, I, I saw a study, and, and again, this study was not done by a Baptist preacher or a Baptist church, but it said that definitively there are no benefits to drinking alcohol. Well, doesn't that make sense? 
I mean, now I know they're not the same kind, but how many of you think it would not be profitable to swallow isopropyl alcohol? I don't want to swallow that. It doesn't feel good on the outside, let alone going on on the inside. Well, the Bible says a drunkard, you deal with that. An extortioner, somebody that's trying to take something by force. The Bible says the church is given the authority to enact discipline. The Bible also says the church is also supposed to care for its widows. You know, this is one of the few churches in the country that I believe does a great job of that. I appreciate the foresight to build up on that hill out yonder on Markow Street, those widows' apartments, so that somebody that needed a place to move into could do that. You know, the Bible says that if a woman, three score, that's 60 years of age, that has only one husband and no children and is full of good works, you know, the Bible says that the church has a responsibility to care for her needs. God didn't put that on the government and welfare or anything else. He said the church ought to take care of her needs. That's another reason to be part of the church scripturally. And then judgment. You know, the Bible says that one day we'll judge angels, and I'm certain that's at the great white throne. And if we're going to judge angels, he said, then you ought to judge one another. You ought not take one another to law. If you've got a problem, you ought to bring it to the people in the church. How many think we've got some wise people here? How many think we've got some spirit-filled people here? I believe I would want a wise, spirit-filled believer making judgment on things in my life than I would a bunch of lost people down at the courthouse. Amen. Amen. That's given to the church. Now, again, those are scriptural reasons. Well, go if you would now with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Let me give you two other huge reasons that I think the church is important. These are huge. Ephesians chapter 5, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Ephesians 5. You know, I think we ought to love the church, and the church may not be loved by the world, and it may be looked upon as something that is withering and something that people don't want to be part of that brick-and-mortar organized religion anymore. Uh, they may want to be, instead of agnostic, they just don't want to be anything. They, they want to believe what they want to believe, but not be part of a place that has the authority of God in it. If you look there in Ephesians 5, the Bible says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. If there's no other reason you and I ought to love the church, it ought to be because Jesus Christ loved the church. Come on now. Jesus Christ loved the church. It was close to his heart. It was something important enough to him. Look what it says there in verse number 25 again, that he gave himself for it. He laid his life down for the church. Tonight we observe communion, and that bread broken symbolizes the broken body of Jesus Christ. That cup of juice symbolizes the blood that was shed for you and I. And he did that because he loved the church. But the Bible says that Christ loved us in that while we were yet sinners. Listen, Jesus loved you and I before we ever were born again. And he had his heart. He loved the church. That's something he gave himself for. Look what the Bible goes on to say in verse 26, that he might sanctify it. That means set it apart and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the Word. He wanted it to be clean. If you look down a little bit farther, the Bible goes on to say in verse 29 that no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. I'm telling you tonight, Jesus loves the church. He cherishes the church. It's something important to him. It's something close to his heart. Listen, if it's close to his heart, it ought to be close to our heart. 
Come on, it ought to be something that's not just a matter of convenience. I'm glad that I pastor a group of people that don't come to church out of convenience and the weather doesn't have to be perfect and you don't have to feel your best. I'm glad I got folks that I get the privilege to pastor. They come when they don't feel good. They come when it's raining outside. They come when they're weary and tired. We have people here tonight that have cancer. You say, why in the world would somebody with cancer be in the church? Because they love the church. They love the church. Jesus loved the church. Jesus put his life on hold. He left heaven. He put aside his glory. He left his father to come down here and build the church. There are so few people that want to take and put themselves out when it comes to church. I'm going to tell you one of the big reasons I think he loves it because the church is eternal. Can I get an amen right there? The gates of hell shall not prevail against. Can, can I ask you a question? How many of you think that one day America's probably going to fall and fail? Would you say amen to that? I don't look for that day, but every nation, you look down through history, the greatest nations in the book of Daniel, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, perhaps the greatest empire the world has ever known, Rome. You know what they've all done? They've all failed. They've all fallen. They've been swallowed up by time. Hey, hey, are you listening? I'm telling you, time will never swallow up the church. There will never be a time when the church is not. The hey, the church is an eternal organization. Amen. Amen. Businesses get swallowed up by time. Families get swallowed up by time. None of those things are pleasant. They fail and they break and they, and they split and they part and they wither. But I'm telling you right, are you listening to me? I'm telling you right now, the church is an eternal thing and Jesus loves it because it's going to stand the test of time. Just like this Bible. I believe this Bible has stood the test of time. See, he loved the church. Do you love the church? Have you taught your children to love the church? I don't think you ought to send your children to church. I think you ought to take them to church. Do you love the church? Will you inconvenience yourself to be where you're supposed to be? And again, I, I know I'm preaching tonight, folks that are here on Sunday night. I, I'm sure you're saying amen right now. In fact, if you'd help me nod at me and say amen, then I know I'm plowing exactly the right place, man. Yes, sir, preach. We love the church. Well, Jesus loved the church. But not only that, go back now to Matthew chapter 18. Would you go there just a moment? Why is the church important? Well, Jesus loved the church. Jesus loved the church. Why is the church important? Well, second reason I'd have you see is in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. If you look in your Bible in Matthew chapter 18, great, great statement that deals with church discipline in verses 15 through 19. How that you go alone and then take one or two with you and then if they won't hear you, then you bring it to the church. But then look what the Bible says in verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. How many of you think midst sounds about right in the middle? I think if I had somebody in the middle right now since she's going back, Hannah, Hannah Suttle, why don't you stand up? I think she, if you move to your left just a couple of feet, you are right in the middle. She's right in the middle. You know what I believe? According to the Bible, where two or three are gathered together in Jesus' name, he's right in the middle. Thank you, Hannah. You can be seated. Jesus is in the church. Now, I can hear somebody say, well, now, I, I don't, you think Jesus is in these walls? No, but I believe he's in his people. 
And when we come together, we find Jesus here. You say, well, I can find Jesus in nature. I'm not saying you can't find Jesus in nature. I, I know that he created the heavens and the earth, and I know that it declares his glory. But I'm telling you right now, if you want to find Jesus Christ, you're going to have to go and find him in the church house. That's where he is. In fact, you can chase that down into Revelation chapter 1. There's seven golden candlesticks, and there's one in the middle of those seven golden candlesticks. And then we're told that those seven golden candlesticks are the seven churches that are told about in chapters 2 and 3. And you know who he is right in the middle of those seven golden candlesticks? You know who's in the middle of all that? The Lord Jesus Christ. He's in the middle of the church. If you want to find Christ, then you need to get to a church house. That's why, listen, I, I love the church tonight. Oh, my goodness. We had a little heaven come down. We got, listen, I, I got to watching people praise the Lord, and, and then I got to watch some other people wonder what they were doing. They, they were just trying to rejoice in the goodness of God and being, hey, it's a blessing to be born again. It's a blessing to know you're going to heaven when you die. And it's not wrong to get excited about that. It's not wrong to think one day God's reinforcements are coming and there is going to be an end to all sorrow. Amen. 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 Well, in Ephesians 3.21, the Bible says, Unto him be glory in the church through Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. You know what we saw a little bit here tonight you're not going to see down at Walmart? <coughs> I promise you, you are never going to see people at Best Buy praising God for their salvation. It's not going to happen. Now, they might, praise, they might be praising God for some computer that went on sale. You, you're not going to find a bunch of people praising God down at the car dealership. And people get excited. You might see somebody down there, a graduate that gets a brand new car, and they might get all excited about that. But I'm telling you, you're not going to find anybody praising God down there. You're not going to find his glory there. You will find his glory in the church. Amen. 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 Jesus is in the middle of the church. He's right in the midst. We ought to love the church. It ought to be important to us because he's in the middle of it. And I can hear somebody saying, well, listen, there are no perfect churches. You are absolutely right. How many of you think you have an imperfect car? You got an imperfect car? How many of you rode in your imperfect car tonight? How many of you plan to ride your imperfect car this evening back home? Yeah. There's no perfect church. Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, when he steps out after being baptized and takes that scroll of Isaiah, the Bible says, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. You know what I know? Whoever the minister was there, he was imperfect. How many of you know you have an imperfect pastor? Well, if you don't know it, you're going to find it out. I make mistakes. I made one this morning. Anybody catch my mistake this morning? How about that? Nobody caught my mistake. Well, I'm not going to tell you what. Did you catch it, Vincent? You tell me after service. If you get it right, I'll buy you some ice cream. You got an imperfect pastor. You know, when Jesus was in that synagogue, he knew the man that was there to minister was imperfect. But he knew it on a much deeper level than him doing something outwardly. He knew he was imperfect inwardly. All the people that were there, listen, tonight, how many, how many of you think we got a great church and you're glad, you're glad to be sitting where you are tonight? Amen. Oh, we got some good people here. But do you think if you knew everything in their heart, how many of you think that probably would put a strain on your relationship? 
I mean, some of you tonight, look, I, I can, look, some of you tonight, if you knew what the person behind you was thinking, you might, you might not appreciate that too much. There, there are all kinds of things. Look, look at people turn around looking backwards. Quit looking back. Look this way. Look this way. Look this way. I say that because I had a man I pastored in Alabama. He, he told, he was, he was just, he was fit to be tied. He's laughing. And he said he sat behind this lady in church and he, she was one of those ladies, again, she had one of those really made up hairdos, you know, it wasn't the big bun on the top, but, the, but it made up hairdo. And he said that while he was, while he was in church, he was trying to listen to the preacher. And he said a bug apparently had landed in the back of her head. And that bug was working its way in and out of all those fixed things right there. And he got to laughing watching that thing going in and out. You never know what somebody might be thinking about behind you. But I don't know. But can I ask you a question? Not, not only do we know they're imperfect people that make mistakes on a piano, that make mistakes in, in administering the Lord's Supper, Jesus knew the imperfections in their heart. And yet it was still his custom. It was his custom to be in a synagogue on the Sabbath day. So Jesus, Jesus loved the church and Jesus is in the midst of the church. He's in the midst of the church. Now, let me give you about three or four other things and we'll We'll go ahead and we'll wrap this up. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. You say, well, what is the church? Well, it's a local assembly, but God makes it, he makes a description about the local church that helps us to understand how valuable it is. How valuable it is. This is, this is something that helps us to understand the value that he puts on it. Again, Jesus loved the church. Jesus is in the midst of the church. And the Bible begins to describe the church in the book of Ephesians, particularly in some very, very understandable, plain ways. Look in Ephesians chapter 2. Look what the Bible says there in verse number uh, 20. The Bible says there, and we'll start in verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy habitation of the Lord, in whom ye also are building together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. The church is the building of God. It is His house, His habitation. I'm talking about us. It's His habitation. How many, how many of you think that housing prices have gotten ridiculously high? Would you say amen to that? How many of you have been tempted to sell your house because prices have gotten so high? Let me see your hand. I'm just curious. Look at hands going up. They've got one realtor back there. She said, I'd sell yours too if you'll talk to me. The, the prices have gotten so high. And houses are something that are very valuable assets. Most people have a mortgage or at least they pay a high amount of rent. In the city of Greenville, the average rent, the average rent, $1,200 for the average rent. I'd be afraid to guess what the average mortgage is. And a house is very valuable. In fact, people protect their house and they upgrade their house. And they have security cameras on their house. And they, 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 they talk about their house and their home and, and how they can be. I'm telling you tonight, God says that the church is his building. It's his house. And it's valuable to him. It's something that he sees as something special. There's a particular purpose that that house has. It's to be able to have him on the inside of it. And I'm telling you, the building of God, it's where God dwells. He says, that's where I dwell. So how many of you tonight, how many of you tonight understand that when we gather here, I believe there's a Savior that's waiting to gather with us because that's, he says, that's my habitation right there. That's the place that I like to dwell. 
I like to dwell there. I think probably maybe he gets excited more about Tabernacle than some other places. You say, why? Well, because we have some people that come an hour early to service. Did you know that? We have some people that get here so early, you say, why do they get here so they can get a good seat? No, I think they get here so they can just go ahead and be ready for whatever God's got to offer. And I'm just saying, I think it catches attention. So the church is the building of God. Then the second thing, if you look at it, go and look there in, in chapter number 1, chapter number 1, Ephesians 1, look at verse number 22. The Bible says, And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So the church is the body of Christ. And the focus on that body is not on the member, but the whole body. Um, tonight, I'm just curious, how many of you thought about your lungs tonight? Anybody thought about your lungs tonight? Nobody thought about your lungs. All right, had one. Anybody, anybody tonight, anybody here tonight thought about your spine tonight? Anybody thought about your spine? One, two, people have problems with it. Anybody here tonight thought about your hair? Anybody thought about your hair tonight? Well, let me that stretch that question. There's some people we don't need to ask that question to. <laughs> there are parts of you that you haven't thought about, and God did not make you individual parts so that you could take and emphasize that part. We are all one body. Every joint fits with the rest of the body to accomplish something. And God, listen, God is not in the business of one man doing something so that he gets the credit. God is in the business of a local assembly doing something together so Jesus Christ gets the credit. How many of you think your body's important to you? Really important to you. How many of you try to take care of your body? How many of you feed your body? Don't raise your hand. How many of you pamper your body? Right. It's important to you. Well, the church is the body of Christ. It's his body, so it's something that's important. He's showing you the value. The value of the church, we ought to love it because it's his body. It's his building. Then look, if you would, Ephesians chapter 5. I think I've already referenced this, but I'll reference it again. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. If you look down just a little bit farther, the Bible says there in verse number 31, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and, and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. Now, I know there's some that might would debate that, but I would just add this to it. In Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17, the Bible says, The bride and the spirit say, Come. In other words, the church and the Holy Ghost work in tandem, trying to bring people to a saving knowledge. And listen, how many of you think it's important? Hey, how many of you think it's important? When you talk about somebody's bride, that's an important thing, isn't it? How many think that's an expensive thing? Yeah. To that bridegroom, that wife is a very important thing. There's a man in... Mount Airy, North Carolina, his name was Carl Lackey. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He was, a, he was a strong preacher. He led a lot of people to Christ. And one night he brought into the church something I wouldn't do. He brought into the church a mannequin. And that mannequin he took and he put a wedding dress on that mannequin and he began to preach about the church. And as he began to preach about the church from time to time, he would do something that was very, uh, 
very demeaning and very, very, uh, very breathtaking. He might take and he might kick it or knock it over. And, and boy, he, pre and he started preaching on kicking the bride. And he got to preaching and he stopped finally. He said, what are you looking at? Why are you so angry about what I'm doing to this mannequin down here? Kind of like some of y'all looking at me right now. I didn't do that. He did that. He said, that's what you're doing to the bride of Christ. When you kick the church and you say things about the church and you point out the flaws of the church and you neglect the church, you know what you're doing? You're kicking the bride. That's the bride of Christ. You ought to take care of that. Don't you think that's an important thing? So we ought to love the church and he's showing you how important. It's my bride. It's, the, it's, it's my body. It's the building that I live in. These are important, important phrases for us to see the church is so valuable. Let me give you one more, maybe, maybe two, but we'll at least look at one. Look at 1 Timothy chapter number 3, 1 Timothy 3. The local church. The local church, Jesus is in the midst, and Jesus loved the church. The Bible goes on to say about that church that it's the body of Christ. It's the building of God. It is the bride of Christ, the other designation I want you to see is right here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you look what the Bible says there in verse number 15, but if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Now watch what he says. The pillar and ground of the truth. That is a, that is a lofty description of the church. He says the, pil the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. I want you to think about that for a minute. How many, how many believe this? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. The Bible says, thy word is what? So the Bible is truth and Jesus is truth, but he says, no, the church is also the pillar and ground of the truth. You say, how is that possible? Well, because Jesus is the head of the church and the Bible is the authority of the church. And so inside this church, we have a head and we have an authority. Now, I know that I'm the pastor, but are you listening to me? Are you looking at me now? I, I know I'm the pastor, but I'm telling you right now, the church does not belong to me and I'm not really the one that should be directing this. It should be directed by the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we ought to do what Jesus wants us to do. And then we don't have an authority in our lives that says, well, we, we find out what all the other churches do and we kind of sit underneath their cooperative program or we just find out what everybody's opinion is. No, we have a higher authority than that. We have a Bible that gives us that truth. And so when the Bible says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth, the pillar is something that holds something up. Four times in the New Testament you have the word pillar. Hear about the church three times it's an individual. The Bible says that the church is something that holds up the truth. I, I don't know if they'll cooperate with me tonight. I, I don't mean it by any way in demeaning at all, but Brother Merritt, would you mind standing up just a minute, sir? Brother Vaughn, would you mind standing? Miss Imogene, would you mind standing? Miss Burnell, would you mind standing? Brother Porter, would you mind standing? Brother Stewart, would you mind standing? You say, what are you doing? I'm showing you pillars. 
people that have been faithful to God, people that are trying to walk with God, people that are trying to serve God. And what they're doing is God takes them, and here's what they do. And I'm telling you, I know what these people right here do. You know what these people do? They try to hold up this book that I've got in my hand right here. You get around these folks, I'm telling you what, Brother Stewart loves Jesus, and he loves the Bible, and he loves the church. We're to hold that up, and I believe that's what these people are. And I could have uh, scores of other people stand up. That's what they do. They hold up the truth. They hold up the Bible. Thank you. You can be seated. That is what the church ought to be doing. Hey, I'm going to tell you, CNN and Fox News is not holding up the church, not holding up the truth. You can count on that. The educational system in America is not holding up the truth. But they never were supposed to in the first place. The church ought to be the one that's holding up the truth. Right. That's why it's a shame that some churches are abandoning the Bible. Listen, as long as God lets me pastor Tabernacle Baptist Church, we are not going to move off this book right here. We are not going to replace this book. I'm not looking for something new and improved. I'm satisfied with what I have right here. We're going to stand on what's in this book right here. It's the pillar of the truth, but it's the ground of the truth. It's where the truth grows. How about all of our children's home? Y'all just stand up. If you're below 10 years of age, stand up. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a place you ought to be able to bring your children and they grow up in the truth. The pillar and ground of the truth. When they come to church and they hear about the Bible and they hear about Jesus and they hear about God, it's giving them the opportunity to grow, but not just them. Thank you, y'all be seated. You did a great job. But it, when you get born again and you hadn't been saved long, this is the right place to be to learn how to grow in grace and grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Come on, there is no such thing as push-button Christianity. You don't get saved one day and the next day. God may have changed you, but there's a lot you got to grow into. Right. So the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. It's the place that God has said, I want my truth to be held up there. I want my son to be held up there. It's a place where you can grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and you can grow in the Word of God. Now, how many of you think that I have, without question, with you, looked in the Bible, and this Bible says that Jesus loves the church? How many of you believe that? How many of you saw tonight the Bible says that Jesus is in the midst of the church? You believe that? I believe that. The descriptions that God uses about the church, his building, his body, his bride, the pillar and ground of the truth. How many of you think we ought to love the church? How many of you think we ought to be committed to the church and make it a priority? Well, here's what I'm going to ask you tonight. How many of you tonight, Brother Ken, if you just go ahead and get on the organ, how many of you tonight would come to that altar right there and just say, God, thank you for Tabernacle Baptist Church. Thank you, Lord, for letting me bring my family here. Help me to love it more and be committed. Would you just, without being prompted, all over this world, people don't have what we have. The singing we had tonight, 
the fellowship we've had tonight? Well, it's got flaws in it. You're right. But Jesus loved it. Well, there's other things that are dearer to me. Well, why? It was close to his heart. It ought to be close to ours. It's eternal. When nations and businesses and families and people have long faded away, the church will still be there. Well, praise the Lord. Just saying thank you for the church tonight. Amen. Hobart, why don't you sing a little bit of that? And let's just pray and just let's just thank God for a little while. Can we do that tonight? How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say? Than to you he hath said, To you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Fear not, I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God, and I'll still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent, I'm going to sing that as our, our dismissal night. What page is that, Brother Steve? 601. 601. Grab your hymnal. Let's stand and sing a couple of verses of that. Boy, I'm thankful for the church God's given us. Thankful for that. 601 is that. Grab your hymnal now. 601. Stand to your feet. This is going to be the way we'll leave tonight. 601. Let's sing together. All we'll right. do stanza three and four. Stanza three. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be my supply. The flame shall not hurt thee. Tonight. God bless you. Tell somebody you love them on the way out, would you?